This is Dave Smith, author of Disney Trivia from the Vault and Disney A to Z, and you're listening to Stories of the Magic. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to episode 21 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. This week, we finally get to a part two I've been looking forward to for a while now. Nate Parrish, former Walt Disney World College program cast member and current co-host of Wedway Radio and Wedway Now, rejoins me to continue our fun Disney-related and podcast-related conversation. In fact, we had so much fun and got so carried away that part two is itself going to be a two-parter. That's right, you get a total of three episodes of Nate Parrish goodness. This time, we pick up fresh, and Nate talks about why he loves Disney in general, what it is about Walt Disney that's such a strong draw for him, and what he thinks of some of the Walt Disney biographies out there. Then we spend a lot of time talking about podcasting, including some behind-the-scenes stuff and some tips he has for people who are starting or want to start their own podcast. People like me. If you're a podcaster, or even considering becoming one, I think you'll find this part of the conversation really helpful. Even if you're not a podcaster, though, and you have no interest in becoming one, I encourage you to listen to this. It'll give you some good insights into what kind of work and care many of the people who create the podcasts you enjoy put in. I think it'll give you a much greater appreciation for them. Even the tips and suggestions he gives towards the end of the episode could be really helpful for you in areas beyond just podcasting. So now, a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend, and then it's time to turn the page and finally continue this story. Have you ever wanted to share something with someone just because? Well, we do a lot. So we started a podcast about, well, whatever we want. My name is Joyce. And I'm her lovely husband, Al. Uh, Well, you know what I mean. And we're the hosts of the Disneyland podcast, Tales from the Mouse House. And the Amazing Race podcast, Fast Forward. And I'm one of the co-hosts of the MASH 4077th podcast. And you'd think with all of these podcasts, we'd run out of things to share. But then you'd be wrong. In our new show, Just Because, we're going to share all the things that, well, just don't fit into any of our other podcasts. Yep, like videos of our puppy Kate as she plays with the water bottle. Mm-hmm. Maybe some episodes chatting about one of our favorite TV shows. Like Lost? Uh Uh-huh. Or maybe an audio play Al has written. And we'll even have episodes contributed by others who have something to share but just don't want to start their own podcast. You never know what you'll find on this show. Why? Just because. Visit us at justbecausepodcast.com and in iTunes. And now, this week's interview on Stories of the Magic. Nate, welcome back to Stories of the Magic. Thanks so much. I'm glad to be back. 
Thank you. I'm glad to hear that you are glad to be back. <laughs> You're the first part two guest I've had that we're actually recording parts one and two separately. So I'm glad. That oh, interesting. All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, we finished up last time talking about the podcast, you know, Wedway Radio and Wedway Now. And that was great. And I would also want to tell you that your episode in particular was really well received. It got a lot of downloads and, and oh, good. Yeah, yeah. feedback. So, you know, I'm especially glad to have you back on because clearly people want to hear from you and, and about you. So. I don't know about that, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> Lacking evidence to the contrary, we'll go with that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I said, we were finishing up, we finished up talking about Wedway Radio last time, which of course you'll get a chance to plug again this time. But let's maybe back out and take it a bit broader because we talked about the parks and your interest in the parks and Disney history and uh, about wanting to do the podcast about Disney history, but let's pull it to a little higher level view or maybe a lot higher level view. And let me ask you, why do you love Disney in general? Oh man, (laughs) that's a tough one. (laughs) Um, Okay. So when I was a kid, uh, I was born in 76 and I know my mom and dad took me to Walt Disney World when I was two and then my sister was born and then my brother was born and then we went back in the 80s a couple of times and that's really one of the first things I can remember is being at Disney World with my parents and then um, and then my parents actually got divorced and my mom got remarried and my stepdad had never been there before and I remember driving back on a trip from like my grandmother's house. Uh, we used to go to my grandmother's like every couple weeks and she lives a couple hours away. So it was like me and Matt and then our two sisters. And we were riding back in the minivan and we were just kind of describing it to my stepdad. And then he's like, well, let's, you know, let's try and go. And um, so we went and it just became like a, you know, our family vacation and we didn't really go anywhere else. Like, we would go to uh, Branson, which is not too far away from it's about three hours from where we live. Um, but we, you know, it was never the same as going to Walt Disney World. And I, I don't know. I think it's just because I had this like nostalgia about it was a part of my childhood in that it was with my mom and my dad. And then it was with my mom and my stepdad and my stepdad and I are really close. And I lost my dad last year, but we, you know, that was some of the earliest memories I have with my dad is going to Walt Disney World and I have lots of pictures from then and I I don't know it's it's almost like Walt Disney World was the impetus like it was the first thing and out of that like Disney films were they were cool but they weren't like my favorite films like I didn't grow up like I liked watching the Disney Channel but I also liked watching Nickelodeon and I also liked you know other films I liked Indiana Jones and I liked Star Wars and I liked you know all all types of films that kids liked in the 80s Uh, so it wasn't like i was like a disney junkie but for some reason disney kind of stuck through all of it and i can't really explain why like i was good at art but i think i told you on the last show that i really wasn't into animation so i liked art but i also didn't um I, i wasn't like wanting to be an imagineer or anything like that even though i i loved like i really liked roller coasters and i liked stuff like that i i was really you know in in my childhood, I was really more into thrill rides than I am now, but I don't know what it was that really kind of stuck, but I just, 
I think I'll tell you one thing is in fourth grade, we did this like famous Missourians unit and Walt Disney was on there. And because I had like loved going to Walt Disney World, I kind of gravitated towards Walt Disney's story. Okay. And 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 that was one thing I, I remember doing uh, uh, like some research on Walt Disney as like, a you know, being 10 years old. Research was like looking it up in the encyclopedia. But, <laughs> right. I remember yeah. that, too. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I really just enjoyed I was like, man, this guy's from Missouri. And then, you know, there's there's Mark Twain. There's uh, Harrius Truman. There's uh, Thomas Hart Bitten. There's Walt Disney, and yeah, there's a few famous Missourians that you kind of learn when you're in elementary school where we, you know, growing up in Missouri. And so he, I don't know, I just kind of gravitated towards his story, and I I remember that, and that's right about when my mom and my stepdad got married. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know what it is, like, drawing me to I know I love Disney now because it's just been a part of my life, my whole life, you know, and it's... I don't always agree with the decisions that they make, but I still enjoy it for what it is. It's an entertainment company. It doesn't owe me anything. You know what I mean? Like they don't Mm -hmm. owe me a single thing, but yet I enjoy all of the products. And it's, you know, one of the taglines for Wedway Radio is exploring the cultural implications of Disney. And as I kind of grew up, I really had this attachment to pop culture. Like I really like stuff from the 1950s and forties and thirties and twenties. Like I really like that stuff. And that's kind of why I became a history teacher is I just, you know, I, I just enjoy stuff that's old, you know, music and movies and uh, popular stuff from back then. And mm-hmm. so, and Disney plays a role in all of that. You know what I mean? Like they're so important and I think as I learned more about Disney, it just it, it grew in stature. So in terms of like, this is a really important company. It's more it's more than just, you know, the Disney Channel and Walt Disney World and Disneyland. It's like it, it has played a role in a lot of different things from the space program to, you know, to entertainment, to robotics, to all these different areas. And and that's kind of what we try and do on Webby Radio is we try and reveal that and uncover things about that and so um that's you know it, it's it's really just it's really interesting to me so i think that's kind of what i'm getting down to is it's nostalgic and it's interesting okay that's actually a fantastic answer to a really difficult question good job <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. so now you talked about doing that missouri famous missourians report when you were 10 on Walt Disney. And I know that you still have a strong affinity for the man himself beyond just the company, but the man himself. Um, What is it about him that is is, uh, such a strong draw or interest for you? You know, um, I think it's just because he, he knew who he was. He didn't try and portray himself as something else. You know, he was, he didn't pretend to be smarter than anyone. He didn't um he he didn't try and come off as more than he was. He wasn't like, you know, he lived out in Hollywood, but he wasn't like a part of that like Hollywood elite of the 1930s and um that so many people got sucked into in the 1930s mm-hmm. and you know, part of the star making process. He had as much influence as a lot of those people, 
but yet he was still his own man. Um, he was a family guy, you know, he, he making, uh, you know, what I'm trying to say here is, uh, progressing his idea to the next thing was important. So like, it wasn't enough to be, he was never satisfied with what he had, which I think is just awesome. He was never mm-hmm. like, you know, this is, he, he, he could have been the greatest feature animation maker of all time, but yet he, he gambled it all to move on to something else. And he gambled it all to move on to something else. And then, you know, when he, when he died, he was, you know, conceptualizing all these futuristic ideas. And, you know, so I, I just, I, I like that, that he was a risk taker and but at the same time, he wasn't someone who was going to try and sell you on this grand idea of of Walt Disney as in like, I know more than you. He was, you know, he could talk to anyone. He could talk to kids. He could talk to adults. He could talk to uh, famous people. He could talk to to anyone. It was just it's just great. I, you know, um, yeah, of course, when I was 10, I didn't know that. But right. in, the, in the research that I found, it's like, you know, it's astounding that he was just this incredible person. And I haven't heard anybody that worked for him that didn't like him. Like even Art Babbitt, who was like on the other side of him in, you know, Art Babbitt was this great animator in the 1930s. And he did, you know, he animated the the Wicked Queen in Snow White. But yet he was on the other side of him in the uh, in the in the labor deal, you know, that really kind of hurt Disney in, in, in 1941 and 42 was the animator strike and Art Babbitt led all that, but he did he still liked Walt, you know, I mean, he was still like, you know, he's still a good guy. Um, he just, he wanted, you know, to press the unions. And so, um, I, there's nobody, I mean, I've talked to Floyd Norman, who's, you know, the first African-American animator. And imagine the pressure that that guy felt, you know, oh, in yeah. the 1950s. I mean, you know, that's 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 amazing. And yet he loved him. He was like, this, this guy is the, the real deal. And he's like, you know, he treated everyone great, you know. And I, so um, that's his his personality and his stature and his willingness to, you know, not not so much that he was a risky guy, but willingness to, you know, hedge bets on what he thought was going to be successful and where the company needed to go is is very inspiring, in, in my opinion. Sure, I could see that, definitely. Uh, have you read, I'm sure you've read several biographies of Walt. Have you ever read any of the ones that tend to be more of a negative portrayal of him like i know they're out there and i can't think of the name of there's any of two them right there's two that i've read okay um, uh hollywood's dark prince is one of them that's the one i was thinking of yeah, yeah that's the one from the 80s that is just negative i mean if you think about it in the 1980s it's called the era of greed you know it's like the decade of greed or whatever that they tended to write uh, biographies unless they were like sponsored by the company, you know, not by the Walt Disney company, but every like major company that they wanted. uh, There was this journalistic viewpoint that we should uncover all this dirt on people. And should, and so there was, you know, there were biographies written on Henry Ford. I know was one. And if you think about like the Kitty Kelly uh, biographies on like Nancy Reagan and, uh, Princess Diana. I think she was mm-hmm. Princess Diana. One. I'm not sure, but um, there was, you know, and I, I don't know if this guy was swept up in that, but it seemed like it was just not like a time for that. But that one was, you know, he portrayed uh, Walt Disney as anti-Semitic, and um, 
I, you know, I, I mean, I don't know more than he does, but a lot, a lot of people have come out and said that that's just not right. You know, that's, you know, so there's that one. And then there's the Neil Gabler biography, which the Neil Gabler biography came out in what, like 2005 or so. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it also kind of portrayed, uh, Disney in a negative light in some areas of his life. And I, the, the problem that I have with it is that it used the Hollywood's dark prince as a lot of its sources. (laughs) And, one thing that came out about that um, book was that it had this unprecedented um, access that no other biographer had had. You know, there's the Bob Thomas biography from like 1988 mm-hmm. of Walt Disney. And this one supposedly had more access than that. Like Neil Gabler was given access to a lot more information than Bob Thomas was. And so it was going to give the true story. And then to read it is OK, but it had had a lot of negative stuff about him as well like it portrayed him as an anti-semite and someone who was not kind to uh his employees and um you know what's weird is like the best disney biography came out the same year and it gets no publicity which one's that that's the michael barrier uh biography called the animated man and it is it is amazing it is great not not because it portrays him in a in a more positive light, but it actually tells, I think the best story of Walt. It, uh, it just goes beyond a lot of those earlier stories. Like the Bob Thomas one is, was I think the first one. Um, but this one was, uh, just went into really rich detail on a lot of, uh, parts of his life that had previously not been, uh, either discovered or talked about, uh, especially with the 19, 30s and 40s in eras that are are kind of hazy and he cites a lot of interesting stuff uh that have come out more since then but at the time it was uh it was uh, very well put together i think okay interesting yeah i'd heard of the animated man it's sadly not one that i have in my library but you should get it. it. Should get it. It's it, it really is my favorite one. Okay. Have you read The Vault of Walt, Jim Corcus's book? I've read excerpts from it. I haven't read the entire book. And it's kind of like one of those anthology type books where you can pick it up and read it any chapter. Mm-hmm. Um I I did get it, but I haven't read it all the way through. There's uh there's some parts that I was kind of interested in reading and then it kind of got it kind of got pushed to the back burner and as like, see, the thing is, is now is all these books <laughs> I pretty much read before I started the podcast, because okay. now, you know, doing the podcast, almost all my free time goes towards making the podcast. So if I'm going to read something, it's going to be about what I'm researching, especially if it's free time, like, you know, Disney stuff. Like right now I'm reading up on two episodes we have coming up. And I'm just like feverishly reading as much as I can in as many different books as I can. I don't have a lot of time to like read other stuff, but uh, I, I wish I did have that time. And, and as books come out, I do try and at least give them a, a chance to read as much as I can in them, as long as it doesn't take up too much like podcast research time. Sure. Yeah. When you're putting out a product that people are expecting every week, yeah, you know, the t- you have to devote time to that. 
at the expense of some other things that maybe you're interested in, but doesn't necessarily contribute to that finished product. Yeah. Like I'll give you an example. I used to be really into like fantasy football and I haven't played fantasy football in like four years, but I used to just dominate fantasy football (laughs) because I would just put so much effort into it. I mean, it's like my brother says I can't stop. So when I put like effort in like one thing, I have to just do it fully and completely. And I just can't, I'm like, so one tracked on, 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 something like that and you know i haven't even thought about fantasy football in like four years so that's interesting (laughs) yeah this is my first year not doing it i wouldn't say i dominate because i didn't put the time into it you did but still with my (laughs) podcast you know what i just don't have time for that so i know and people have asked me they're like are you gonna play i'm like i'm like no man i do the podcast you know i'm not gonna try something i'm not gonna put effort into so right how much time, if you can even quantify this, do you usually spend prepping for an episode of Webway Radio? Well, it all depends on the episode, first of all. The ones where we talk about the parks today are the easiest ones because those are more conversational. Mm-hmm. Um, the ones that are about a specific attraction, they're usually not as difficult either because I usually go to one or two sources for that information. The ones that cover an idea that goes across several things are the most difficult. Like, uh, like for instance, on in July this year, we did an episode on Liberty street in Disneyland. The idea, the, the proposed Liberty street that was going to run parallel to main street. Right. Um, we did that and we talked about Liberty square and we talked about Johnny Tremaine all in one episode. And that was a killer. And it, <laughs> I, it just took so much time. So, okay. So if I were to estimate time, okay. So we usually take two hours to record an episode. Even if it's only an hour, we usually chat a lot about what we want to do and there's mistakes and we'll talk. Uh, but about two hours to do an episode. It takes about five hours to edit an episode. Usually it takes about an hour to do the first like minute and a half because I'll, you know, I'll want to find the the music and stuff like that that I want. And mm-hmm. then the intro is usually pretty easy because it's set music. But then once I start editing, I would say five hours just because I tend to come back to it a lot and once I get it all edited and then I'll, I'll go back and I'll listen to it through again because sometimes I'll miss something like I'll stop talking and I'll ask Matt a question or I'll say, Oh, hold on a minute. And I I didn't catch that the first time. And so sometimes I'll have to do that. Uh, The prepping for an episode takes a long time. I mean, it, it can take 15 hours depending on how many, how much time, because Matt and I co-host the show, we have to know what page, you know, like make sure we're on the same page. So what we do is we share a Google document and um, I will type up the show notes and he will type up the show notes in the same Google doc. The intro is usually scripted. The transitions are usually scripted and we usually have uh, all of our notes on there as tight as possible so that it doesn't sound like we're reading because we're not reading. We're just kind of like going over ideas. And so the, you know, creating the Google doc, doing the research, I'd say about 20, 
22 hours at most and probably like 10 hours and uh, maybe eight, eight to 10 hours at the least. Wow. Well, yeah. I'll tell you, it shows in the quality of the production and oh, in the quality of the research. Well, thank you. You know, it's, <laughs> it, it's like, I don't want to steal from like just somebody's blog post. Mm-hmm. So, you know, somebody will have a great blog post out there, but I don't want to take all their information. And so I'll try and find it myself. So I do more information, more uh, research from actual books that I have, or I'll find just databases and try and piece things together. Like IMDb is a great source because you'll find out who made the stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like if especially if we're doing a sh- on a mo- on a show or a movie or something, and then we'll do a backstory on that particular person. So we do use the internet, and you know I don't want to say we're we don't take from anywhere, but you know a lot of times there'll be a, a an amazing blog post on an attraction, but to just steal somebody's work like that, that you know I, I wouldn't do that to someone. And if I did, I would try and have them on the show. Like mm-hmm. I've done that with Michael Crawford a lot. I've said, "Hey, I love this blog post. Let's you want to talk about it?" And we've just done it as that show. And I've done it with a couple other people too, just because you know if they wrote it, I want to give them credit and I want them to actually uh, be able to kind of expand upon it. And Jeff Pepper, I've done that with him too. I'm trying to think of other people. I know I've done a few other people, but you know if there's people that are out there that put the effort into their own research and it's something that I want to talk about, I'm more than happy to have them on the show too. Sure, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you could read it and give credit, but if you can have them on, that's that much better. Right, because, I mean, I, you never know what they left out. You know what I mean? Right. Or how did they get to that? And they'll say, well, you know, this is really related to this as well. And, you know, I didn't want to put it in the blog post, but I did a, I did one earlier on this. I'm like, oh, okay, well, let's talk about that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That's good. So, And I'm glad to know that when it comes to editing, I thought I was just really slow. Oh my God, I'm so <laughs> slow. I'm serious. I have figured out like what an um sounds like in wave format. Like I know the shape of the word um. I'm pretty close to that too. I know what I you know. mean. You can tell when one's coming up because there'll be a little space and then a giant blurb and then another space. I'm, like, oh, no, I'm gonna have to edit that out. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I spend probably three or four times the length of the interview editing the interview. Because I want the guests to sound as good as possible, and I'd rather not sound like an idiot myself. So you know, and I I kind of struggle if it's an interview with like, for instance, we had like Floyd Norman on or Michael Brogy on. Um, if we have someone who the subject of the show is that person, I will do less editing of them because I want people to hear what it's like to talk to them. You know what I mean? Versus yeah. if I have Michael on or if I have uh, like I used to have Henry work on a lot. I'll do a lot of editing because they're, I, I view them as the contributor to the show as a whole, not the subject of the show. So it kind of depends on them. That's another angle that we kind of look at when we, when we edit and, and Matt has, he started editing Wedway radio and I wanted to start it. And then I just have never given it back to him. <laughs> I, I just, I, I'm a control freak. So I'm like, I'll do it. And, um, he edits Wedway now. So, um, he he gets that experience, and then I I do the Wedway Radio because I'm I don't know it's just like I I feel like uh, I I want to do it well, and not that I don't trust him, but 
whether it is, it's an equal partnership between Matt and I, but most of the show topics I come up with, and then we will collaborate on making the show. But when I come up with the show topic, I, I know what I want it to sound like. And he's fine with that. And he knows that when I do the book of the show notes that I want it to sound a certain way. And sometimes he does the book of the show notes and then he'll, he'll, uh, He'll be like, well, when you edit it, be sure and put this in, put this in, put this in, and I, I will go with that as well. But I know exactly how I want it to sound even before we record it for the most part. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I'm glad that you know you at least share the editing duties in that way. That's oh, my nice. wife would not put up with me editing more than one show. I used to edit the Betamouse show. Oh, man. But that one was such a soft edit. We Really, we... You know, if you go back and listen to it, it's awful to listen to the editing because we'll talk over each other and there'll be long pauses. But it's more of a conversational roundtable type show. So it, that was an easy edit. That's good. Yeah. I do remember listening to Beta Mouse. And, you know, if there was any kind of outtake in it, and like I remember, what was it, the second to last show was just, I think, like all outtake and highlight kind of stuff oh that show do you have the the story on that show it's called code review which is henry's all you know techie so he will you know he explained it to me what code review meant right um i wasn't gonna do it because we on webway radio we don't you know we don't do clip shows just because i don't know i I, i'm not in the clip shows but uh on beta mouse i wasn't gonna do it and then i got sick like I got really sick, like, you know, stuck in bed, sick and Ooh. fever and all this stuff. And then I was well for like three days and no one was home. Like my son was like at my in-laws and he was having fun over there. And my wife was working and I was fine. And then the weekend hit and I was just like, they still didn't want me around. So I, uh, <laughs> I literally was like sequestered in a room with a temperature, but feeling okay. And I just made that show on a whim and, um, it took me a really long, I didn't like, if I would have known how long it was taking, I wouldn't have done it, but I did it. And I was like, okay, I made this. You can use it if you want. But I was really just kind of wasting time. And Henry listened to it and he was like, uh, because it has every guest that we had on there, but he was like, but at first it didn't. He was like, let's try and can we put all the guests in there? And I was like, okay, you need to give me a list of guests because I can't go through and listen again. And so I went through and I, I added all the guests and we kind of collaborated on how to end it with kind of like laughter. And it, it, it was fun to put together. And I was pretty proud of actually making a clip show because it is not something I ever want to do again. <laughs> it's so hard. Because, I mean, you, I'll go back and I'll listen, and you really have to listen for things. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like most most times when I listen to a podcast, it's a pretty passive experience. I'm doing something else while I'm listening. I'm not just standing there staring at a computer screen. The most active I am is when I'm, like, mowing the lawn or something because I don't have anything else to think about. And I'll just, like, concentrate on what's being said. But for the most part, I'm not listening to every single word. And in doing a show like that, I had to listen to every single word. So it was... Is one of those things where I would say, oh, okay, this is pretty cool. And so I just took little notes. I just put little post-it notes like all over my MacBook, like episode 13, <laughs> 10 54. Like that was the thing. And I was like, okay. So when I went in to make it, it was, uh, it, it was easier that way, but that was kind of fun. I mean, it, 
I, I've actually gone back and I rarely go, go back and listen to old shows. Um, but that's one I have listened to like two or three times. One, because I miss my beta mouse friends. Sure. I, because, you know, I just, I love those guys and I don't get to talk to them. And that was just so much fun. So hopefully other people enjoyed that show too. Cause it was, uh, it was lots of hard work to put together, but I was pretty proud of how it ended. Absolutely. Well, I can tell you at least I enjoyed it. So. Well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad uh, one person enjoyed it. <laughs> okay, good. I'm sure I'm not the only one. There's probably at least one or two others, but <laughs> <laughs> as long as you're happy, that's great. <laughs> so now you've mentioned a couple of times that you're a teacher and you said you're a history teacher, right? Yeah, I am. Uh, high school, junior high? High school, yeah. Okay. Uh, it seems like a lot of people who are teachers also have some kind of Disney affinity uh, to one degree or another. And so when I think teacher and Disney, my first thought actually is Mike Rollman. Yeah, Mike and I were kind of at opposite ends of the spectrum, though, because he teaches uh, elementary school and I teach high school. But, right. So we don't really ever talk about teaching, but we both kind of share the same schedule. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, now, and I know because of him teaching, I think it's fifth grade, he's able to do a lot of different things to kind of incorporate Disney into his classroom. Are you able to do anything like that with teaching history or? Um, not really. I don't really incorporate anything Disney into any assignments or anything. The only thing I do is sometimes I'll play uh ambient background music <laughs> nice <laughs> that they have no idea what it is it's solely for my benefit <laughs> right so i'll be like oh i think we're gonna listen to innovations loop as we do this worksheet or um <laughs> review for this test and so i'll pull out my ipod classic and i'll be like okay so we're gonna listen to they have no idea or every once in a while i'll get a kid that will recognize it which is just weird to think about but yeah i had illuminations reflections of earth one time and uh it, without the first like 15 seconds with the with the uh, spoken part and it was just the the nine minute show one kid goes this is from epcot <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was almost embarrassed to say Yes, it is. <laughs> like I wasn't embarrassed to like like Epcot, but I was just embarrassed that someone finally caught on. You know, I was like, "Oh, you like Epcot, huh?" He's like, "Oh, I love, I love Disney World." And I was like, oh, "Okay, well, um, I do too." I go, "Have you? Do you remember riding Soren?" And I just like flipped to Soren, and you know, my classroom just turned into, "Do you recognize this ride? Do you recognize this ride?" You know, <laughs> but they don't. They're at that kid stage where they don't really appreciate the history they're just like going and attractions and vacation aspect so i I, and i appreciate that so yeah yeah different level of appreciation type of appreciation for everybody and it'll probably change over their years too i you know what's weird though is i have had a few kids because kids are very multimedia savvy Mm -hmm. and uh i have had a few kids that have their own podcast and I've brought it up to a few of them uh, kind of reluctantly, like, oh, I do a podcast, too. You know, <laughs> <laughs> kids think, you know, they're so in their own world. They think that Twitter is for them. <laughs> right. And I have been on Twitter since December of 2006. So it launched. Wow, adopter. Yeah, it launched in November of 2006. And. 
I remember I was listening to an episode of Leo Laporte and uh, it was one of his shows back then. And they were talking about Twitter. And so I got on Twitter and I wasn't really interested in it. And I kept my ID, but then I actually deleted that early ID. And I wish I wouldn't have, because you know, on Twitter where it says like the number, you know, your number, like 89 million or something like that. My number was like 40,000. <laughs> I mean, it was like so wow. low. I mean, I was like, wow. But um, then I got off it and then I got back on later. But uh, kids think like their Twitters are, uh, you know, they think it's for them. And so uh, they'll be like, you have a Twitter, Mr. Parrish? I'm like, oh, yeah, I've got a Twitter handle. And well, how many followers? Yeah, I'm like, oh, like 2,500, <laughs> something like that. And like, no way. And I, you know, I don't want to like show them up. So I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, let's move on. <laughs> right. Because I don't want to start bragging or act, you know, try and impress them because that's not what I'm there for. And I, I rarely try and do that. But really. Uh, yeah, really. But uh, it's just kind of funny they, that they think that uh, it's theirs, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know what you mean. Now, you mentioned some of them having their own podcasts. And of course, you've had yours for a while. And I'm kind of starting out pretty fresh here. Right. So as someone who's kind of in the early weeks and months of my own Disney podcast, what advice would you give me or someone like me that wants to start one of their own? Sure. And I've actually, um, there's a few podcasts that have started that I have tried to reach out to help get them started. And, you know, because in the community, I, I really view the Disney community as a, you know, a full community where you should try and help other people out. And that the more information out there really adds to the whole you know, and so uh, yeah, I'm happy to help people when they want to start a podcast or let, you know, let them know information on, you know, how, what's an XML feed. How do you hosting all that stuff? What kind of equipment you can expect to have to buy all that stuff? And so I would say experiment with the format. It's kind of like your first website in that a lot of people start a few websites or blogs before they get settled into one that they really do well at. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. some people will start a website about Disney, but like not have any direction. And then they'll kind of focus in on, well, you know what? I really like this angle and podcasts can be the same way. I remember when Matt and I started, we wanted to be the podcast for everyone. And it was like, we would have, uh, I think I told you on the last show, you know, we would have, you know, resort stuff and we would have food stuff and we would have trip planning stuff and we would have history stuff. And then we kind of decided we didn't really like researching that stuff. So we just, right. we just want to do the stuff we want to do. So experiment with the format and the content. I should, I guess I should say the content experiment with the content and tell you, you find what you want. You know what I mean? Second, don't pay any attention to any numbers. Numbers don't mean anything because I've had people that I know that started podcasts that just obsess over how many people are listening to my show. How can I get more people? What can I do to get, you know, you know, on iTunes hot list or whatever it is. I, I don't even know, but that doesn't matter. You're not doing it to be famous. You're not doing it to make money. And if you are, I'm sorry to say it's not going to work. <laughs> you know, right. So, don't pay any attention to any numbers 
And a third thing I would say is reach out to other podcasters and find out what works for them and reach out to other bloggers and other people in the Disney space because for all of us, it's trial and error. You know what I mean? We had never done a podcast before. We didn't know how to set up a podcast. And so essentially I had to go out and figure out how to do it. And, you know, there's people out there that have been successful and don't be afraid to send someone an email and say, how come, you know, when you post your show, it gives information when you click on the logo what did you do to do that? How do you add ID3 tags to your podcast? There's so many people out there that have learned that and they had to learn it the hard way that they're probably more than happy to share it with you. And finding out all this stuff is, is very beneficial. I mean, we had done like 120 shows before I figured out how to do the artwork on our ID3 tags. So all our old shows have like either generic itunes logo or sometimes it'll pop up but sometimes it won't so i finally listened to an old podcast from like 2006 from like podcasters for dummies and was like how do they do that (laughs) (laughs) you know so i mean use you know other people that have been successful and uh i don't mean successful but seem to know what they're doing (laughs) right there's a lot of Depending on the format of your show, and I'm talking about you, the format of your show is you interview a lot of people, and I would say ask people who they want to be on your show. You know what I mean? Who should I interview? Who would you like to hear from? And, you know, spread the word, but you don't have to... I said don't obsess over numbers. Find out who likes your show and ask them, you know, what do you like about the show? What can I do differently? You know, I've asked people that love our show, like... I asked them last year, I go, give me five things I could do better on my show. Give me a list of things that you wish we did better. And then what do you like about it? Find out what people like about it. Because sometimes when you're doing a show, you don't really know what is catching on and what's not because you're doing all this work. And then you think, oh, man, this is a lot of work. Like, I remember one time I actually thought, let's dump the intro to our show. You know, the beginning, it sounds like Uh illuminations because it's like an hour (laughs) every week. And then one time I actually posted on Facebook. I was like, Webber Radio is going to have some major changes coming up. And somebody actually responded, don't change the intro. <laughs> I was like, That's exactly what I was going to do. So I'm like, oh, shoot. Well, I guess I'm not changing the intro now. <laughs> okay, now it's got minor changes coming right. up. I'm like, oh, well, uh, thank you so much. I guess I won't be changing very much, you know. But uh, that's my advice, I guess. That's really good advice. I know I've been guilty already of obsessing over numbers. And like a couple of weekends ago, the download numbers over the weekend just spiked through the roof. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. And then the next weekend, they were way down. (laughs) Okay, I have no idea what just happened here. (laughs) I I mean, honestly, is it going to change the way you do your show? No. no. So why does it matter? (laughs) That's very true. It, it, it really doesn't. Are you going to stop doing your show because you have a thousand listeners versus 25,000 listeners? No, I, no. I wouldn't because that's a thousand people that really like what you do. Yeah. It, I, I don't know. Yeah. I'd only stop doing my show if I can't get guests. Yeah. That's <laughs> the challenge of an interview based show. If you don't have guests, 
you kind of don't have a show. That's difficult to do. I would, <laughs> I would consider that an occupational uh, hazard. <laughs> right. Uh, but honestly, numbers are just, they're just numbers. Mm-hmm. Because first off, people have obsessed so much over numbers that they've asked me, um, how many numbers have you had since March of 2011? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, what, what do you mean? I'm like, Oh, I mean, why does that matter? Like what, you know, how many shows have I done? How many shows have you done? What, you know, have you changed anything? You know, have you promoted, you know? So the only reason I look at numbers is to make sure the show doesn't have like a glitch in it. You know, like the first day I release a show, I will look at the numbers and if it's where it normally is, then I'm fine. You know, I don't, I don't ever check back until the next week when I release another show, because if there's like one show actually had a corrupt, the file was corrupted and I'd announced episode 99 of what radio is available. And there's like, you know, the downloads actually went down that day. And I was like, Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> but I actually went through and the file had zero megabytes. I was like, Oh, well maybe that's why. Yeah. That's so, a problem. I deleted it and put it back in again. So that, that's the only reason I check numbers is that. Yeah, that makes sense. And I don't think numbers are really, I don't, you know, I don't determine success on numbers. I determine success on how long you've been doing it. You know, if you've been mm-hmm. doing it for this amount of time and people like it, then you're successful. I, I don't think, you know, being, uh, having this phenomenal show that's spiked, but you, have 10 episodes you know that's great be proud of yourself but if i didn't have that i wouldn't consider it unsuccessful i just yeah i just don't worry about that kind of stuff it doesn't really matter to me Mm -hmm. yeah and and i'll say also as for your your third piece of advice about reaching out to the disney community that's exactly what i've done and anybody who's listening that might be thinking of starting their own podcast you can't do it well and without a lot of heartache if you don't do that and i've discovered that there are some people some podcasters and bloggers who are very open and receptive and willing like you and a couple of others there are some who are not yeah there are there are some that are not and some and i think there's a couple reasons why one some of them are very busy Mm -hmm. and it's not their job and they're like I'm only going to put this much effort into the show and I'll answer your mail, but I'm not going to spend time. And another one, which is really sad is that people see it as a competition. Yeah. And I hate that because who are you competing against and for what? Right. Exactly. (laughs) There's so many listeners with so many different areas of interest. There's no reason. You know, I, I used to get upset. At the beginning, when we first started our show, because when other people would put shows out that were like ours, like I used not upset, but I would be like, we did that show. You know what I mean? Like if we did a show on the Tower of Terror and there was another show on Tower of Terror, I would think, well, oh, great. They're put doing a Tower of Terror show. But, you know, <laughs> no one's going to do the same show. And mm-hmm. Now looking back on it, I'm like, how arrogant of me to think that I'm the only one that could do a Tower of Terror show. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. 
Who are yeah. you to do my subject matter? You know? <laughs> yeah. I've interviewed this guest. They are now off limits from everybody else for exactly. the remainder of time. And, you know, I mean, we've had guests that have been on other shows and we've had contributors that have been on other shows. If someone has a problem with it, that's your problem. I really don't care because <laughs> I'm going to do my show the way I want to. And I don't have a problem with somebody going on another show, you know? great that's i don't owe anyone i don't you know i don't and i don't pay anyone so it doesn't really matter but we uh you know we have a good relationship with four or five people that end up going on our show a lot and uh, those are our friends those are our our friends in in the community and they do what they want and we kind of do what we want and we collaborate on some stuff and they you know you know good for you I'm I'm happy for anybody that does well. I, I I really am. I'm really happy for anybody that does well in the Disney space. You've got a blog and it's successful. That's great. I will subscribe to it in my Google Reader. If you have a show and it's awesome, I will listen to it, and you know, I will congratulate you or retweet you if if it's a show that I like and if I don't like it, it or if it's something that I think is not interesting to me. It doesn't mean it's not interesting to other people. Like for instance, I don't really like trip planning shows. Because I'm not always planning a trip, and when I do plan it, go on vacation, I don't usually do a lot of planning. I just go. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean those aren't great shows, you know. So I uh, there's just a few different shows out there that really see this space as competition and that they want to be the top dog. And I don't know what prize they're aiming for or whatever. <laughs> right. They, they need to really reevaluate their, you know their goals because it's not going to get you anywhere and you're not going to make money off it. I mean, there's a few people. There's two people I know that have made a living in the Disney community that create content. And one of them is Lou Mangiello Mm -hmm. and he, that's his job and that's great. And I support Lou. I've been on Lou's show and, you know, and my friend Henry work who worked for touring plans. He was the only full-time employee at touring plans when he worked there and that was his job. And, you know, those are two people who I consider friends. I don't talk to him all the time. Henry's got a new job, so I don't really talk to him. And Lou, I don't talk to him because he's just busy. But there's just only a few people that make, you know, there's travel agents too, I guess. But it's not a business. It's just, it's not. It's, it's you know, this is just fun. So, Sorry, I've been ranting on this for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's quite all right. This isn't like myself. I don't do this to everyone. Have you ever experienced uncontrollable bouts of geekdom? If so, the Anomaly podcast may be right for you. In clinical studies, Anomaly's interviews, convention reports, commentary on geek culture, games, sci-fi and fantasy television, literature, and film provided a feeling of fullness while promoting health for optimal geekiness. The Anomaly podcast is not suitable for all people. Only geekily active cool chicks with a healthy sense of humor should listen. Geekily active cool guys should listen too. Anomaly has resulted in sudden fits of squee, Broad smiles may appear without warning and could become permanent. The most common side effects of Anomaly are unconsciously joining in the Gamma Quadrant golf clap, out loud, at work, to the amusement of co-workers, and attempting to interject opinions aloud to hosts who can't hear the listener. 
But in all cases, the benefits outweigh the risks. Ask your anomaly if you're healthy enough for entertainment of this caliber. You don't need a doctor's messy handwriting to obtain a free subscription. Anomaly is available over-the-counter at Stitcher Radio and in the iTunes, Zune, and BlackBerry stores. You can also stream episodes of Anomaly and Anomaly Supplemental at anomalypodcast.com. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y podcast.com. Just one one-hour episode provides 24 hours of relief and never leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Music by JewelBeat.com That brings us to the end of this week's show. A very special thank you to Nate Parrish for returning to Stories of the Magic, and to you for listening. If you've worked for the Walt Disney Company in any capacity and would like to share a positive story, email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY anytime, 24 hours a day. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, let's talk. If you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience and had an encounter or interaction with a cast member that made some extra Disney magic, or had any special Disney experiences you want to share, I'd love to hear from you, too. Email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY and tell me about your experience. If you're not quite sure of what kinds of things you can share, go back and listen to episode 20, the Thanksgiving episode, and that'll give you a good idea of at least some of the things that I might be looking for and that you might have in mind, something that might jog a memory or a thought here or there. Also, to follow Nate's suggestion, if you've got something that you'd like to hear... Uh, on the show, some particular person, someone in a particular position or role in the Walt Disney Company, anything like that, give me a call, send me an email, let me know what you want to hear. Let me know what you think I'm doing well. Let me know what you think I could do better. I really want to know what you're hearing and what you're enjoying and what you would like improved and what you'd like to hear more of so that this show can be one that you, the listeners, can really get the most out of. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in iTunes, on the website, or you can hear Stories of the Magic while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher is a free news and talk mobile app available for your smartphone. And when you download Stitcher to hear Stories of the Magic, you have a chance to win some money. Downloading is quick and easy. Just find Stitcher in the App Store. Download it. It's free. just takes a few seconds. And then, during registration, hit the promo code box and enter Magic Stories to get automatically entered to win $100. The latest episode of the show will be waiting for you in your favorites. You'll get access to lots of other amazing shows, too. All available to you on demand. No syncing. It's Stitcher Smart Radio. Don't forget to enter promo code Magic Stories, all one word, when you register. If you like the show, please rate and review Stories of the Magic in iTunes or on Stitcher Radio. Those ratings help make the podcast more visible there so it's easier for people to find. Leaving a rating and a review will only take a couple of minutes, and I would be very grateful to you. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. While you're there, you can check out the show notes for useful links from each episode, too. If you've got any of those suggestions of people you want to hear from, or things that you think I'm doing well, or things you think I can improve on, the show notes is a great place to leave that, or you can go ahead and email any of those if you want to, to podcast at storiesofthemagic.com. Please like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash storiesofthemagic. 
follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash stories of magic and tweet out that you're listening. Pin it on Pinterest, plus one on Google+. Tell your friends about the show. Keep letting others know that you're listening so that they can join in the magic. This week's episode has been brought to you by Leaving Conformity Coaching. Walt Disney said, Disneyland is like Alice stepping through the looking glass. To step through the portals of Disneyland will be like entering another world. Entering Disneyland is like stepping into another world full of magic, wonder, and impossible dreams that come true. In the same way, working with me as your coach will enable you to step into a life unlike anything you may have thought possible. One that is full of joy, promise, and passion. Not always easy, but always an adventure. To find out more about Leaving Conformity Coaching and how I can help you, access some free resources and read my blog, visit leavingconformitycoaching.com stories. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories. And this tale continues next time. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line, 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website, storiesofthemagic.com for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.